Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, shapes, sorts, and sizes, this is Josh Belcher, host of the Uncharted Podcast, episode 107. What a great episode it is. We've got some phenomenal guests. We've got Jimmy Duck Holmes. We've got Ricky Lee Phelps, formerly of the Kentucky Headhunters. Had a pretty solid week this week. Got to go out Saturday and enjoy my girlfriend's nephew's baseball game. They're in Little League, so they're still... Uh, getting pitched to and then they can hit off the tee and they're developing and it's a really fun time to watch baseball perfect weather nobody was afraid of getting diseases everybody stood for the national anthem it was quite splendid and it was a very thrilling and joyous occasion to watch little kids the point of their innocence enjoy baseball i actually felt normal felt american again for a little while went to uh, my girlfriend's parents house She cooked. It was phenomenal. I'm already very robust. She's going to make me get a lot fatter. Now, I know I've been talking about her a lot in the Uncharted podcast, but uh, she is a really great, phenomenal find, and I'm proud to have her in my life's stratosphere. So I'm still at that point where I'm talking mushy-gushy stuff, stuff I used to make fun of people for, but she's uh, made quite an impact on me, and I'm very, very happy. So... I suspect in more episodes to come, she will be doing things that mesmerize me, and I will be telling you all 28 of my listeners about. So, uh, let's get on with this Uncharted podcast. Here we go. This week on the podcast, we have Jimmy Duck Holmes. His Grammy-nominated album, Cypress Grove, was produced by Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. He also discusses his Bentonia Blues Festival that's coming up in July. All that and more next. Holmes, Jimmy Duck Holmes, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. It's really an honor to speak with a man of your caliber of music. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, just wanted to talk about this uh, Bentonia Blues Festival you got coming up. This is a uh, first time I've heard of it, but it's a storied tradition. And can you tell me a little bit about it, please? Yeah, but actually, actually, me and my mom started it back in 1972, and it wasn't titled a festival. We just we just started doing something for the community. Like I said again, back in 1972, and it it has always been music involved. But we we would have a DJ playing blues music. That was in the earlier days, say for the first couple of years, and we had a person entertaining was a guy called Walter Hood and of course he did Taco Fella and to make a long show that's short it grew from where it was then to where it is now and it's not the biggest festival in the state but it is to my understanding it is a long and running festival this is the 49th year we be blessed enough to pull it off oh wow that's impressive. That's a long time. It's uh, June 14th through 19th this year. Oh, excuse me for that. Do you think there's going to be a bigger crowd now that you've had a Grammy nomination and, and all that good stuff? Say that again now. 
I said, do you do you think this year there's going to be an even bigger crowd now that you've been Grammy nominated and uh, and been brought yeah. more to the public eye? Yeah, in part that's part of it, and you know we have things are going to be a little bit bigger. The Grammy nomination is part of this year. This year stuff is going to be a little bit bigger, and plus the fact that last year we had it, but it was still way down because of the pandemic, and people have been. For the last 12 or 13 months, we just get out. And this is going to be an opportunity to get out with the family and listen to some good live music and be centered around the old legendary, who knows how long, the Blue Fire Cafe. All oh, that's going to play a part. Good deal. Yeah, it sounds exciting. And for the people that don't know um, uh, the, the, Bentonia, uh, the Bentonia style of blues, could you kind of explain a little bit of uh, uh, why it's so special? Well, the uh, First of all, it's a unique sound according to the, the, the people who research it. They say they have a distinct sound, an absolutely distinct sound from any other blues music that I've ever heard. And I, they kept pounding in my head because I was to understand what, what it was about it. And they came up with it has a haunting sound, but what is a soft, a slow beat, or a fast beat, and the haunting sound comes from the way those old timers perfected the G string on the guitar. That's so I come up with. Now, the guy that started was a guy by the name of Henry Sutton, and he had no idea that that particular style of music would be set apart and had an impact on music around the world. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and uh, the same song isn't uh, performed the same way twice. Is that correct? Well, and let the train get out of the background. <laughs> Do you hear me now? Yes, sir. And you said something about the same song by. Yes, sir. I was asking, is, 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 this, is it true that the same song is never performed the same way twice? Well, the music pretty much stays the same. The lyrics stay the same, but the lyrics not all the time repeated in the same form. It's the same lyrics, but, but you might you might say it's a different verse, a different line. With the word arranged this way, and I say arranged in your mind. You'll do the same song, same lyric, but the lyric might not fall in the same style as it did in the early part of the song or you know, another second year, maybe just a day before something. Now, that being said, being said now, there's a difference between a blues player, when I say blues player, a person that can play blues on the instrument, than a true blues one. A true blues one. Stuff from his heart, truthfully, not fabricated. A true blue sang from his heart, or played from his heart. The lyrics are done from his heart. Now, and his lyrics are true. Now, you don't have to rehearse the truth. You do not have to arrange the truth. The truth is, is the truth up or down, side to side. That, that, that is what it is. I get asked a question, why you don't why you don't sing a song the same way every time? Because it's down from my heart. 
However my heart tells me to arrange delivery, that's what I'm going to do. It's not nothing cheap music. It's not gospel written on paper. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Now, um, if I understood correctly, and this really intrigued me because I live in the Nashville area, you came and recorded this fantastic album, Cypress Grove, uh, uh, unbeknownst to you. Uh, did you, you weren't aware when you got here that Dan Auerbach was going to record you? No, not 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 a recording to be put on the market. I'm not that I mind that, but I thought we were just going up there. Well, I didn't know about. I didn't even know we were going in. Damn, I thought I was going over to the road trip sightseeing with the guy that drove me, and got in got in the studio to say had no idea that was recording that to be put on track and you know, put out there on CDs and vinyl. I thought I was just going in there to play. Play for them to help me play for the sake of the type of music I play. And, and, and again, I played in that studio in that little box in closed room. I played just as hard in that room by myself as I was with a crowd with thousand people. That's the blue. You don't you don't you don't have to pretend. You play what you feel, and that's what I did in that little room in the rock. And and they were amazed at it recording session schedule for four days, I mean, and I did it uh probably four hours one day and I out the next day and I was done. <laughs> That's awesome. That never happens. <laughs> but I don't I don't, I know that sometimes you go to record a album or whatever it be. Sometimes it takes three or four days because you might lay down the same song track for three or four times. And they'll decide which one they're going to use. But see, all of mine are done truthful. And like I said, me and I'll play just some of my plays are hard sitting at home on my back as I would if I had an audience. And I think that's what amazed them because it worked so perfect, it came out so good, it took a short period of time. And again, I had did what I was going to do and on my way back home. And then a guy said, Well, I was right, man, are you going to get a record? You're going to send it to the studio and get a press out. So. What up? How did you get the nickname the Duck? Well, after I started playing, the last four or five, my male that lived it longer than that. I got asked that question several times. How did the name Duck? Are you a good friend? Do you walk like that? And as close as I could come to how it happened, they say this is very common. And they're like, everybody has what you call a nickname. And they, and they say, my little friend, probably eight, nine, ten years old, or whatever, they decided to start calling me Duck. Yeah, it is. I'm Jimmy Duck Home. Now, Jimmy Duck Home is really not my birthday, my birthday, but Jimmy Charles Home, which is on my birthday. But like I said, my friend started calling me Duck. And they called home, and my music fans, and my fans, and my followers, they started calling me Jimmy Duck. Those sounds I can do that. <laughs> what um with the the new black keys album they I saw they did a, a video there at the Blue Font Cafe. Uh have you gotten more uh, clientele over there uh with that oh, yeah. oh yeah. Clientele inquiry uh, inquired about the blue font and and of course the one of CBS and I have all there look like the blue font and jump off the map. I can hear about credit. It's a small little place, but it's real, real big and 
they buy it. Twenty sixteen, they but they know they tell me when they kept it. I thought they were gonna come up and visit. They didn't say come up and record. And I said, man, not knowing I was gonna record, I told the guy that drove me up because he was in the room making a cab. I said, man, I'm not going on Nashville that side path. You know I don't like to go nowhere. And he kept trying, he kept trying. Two years. I said, okay then, so how you bugging about going to Nashville? I know you're extremely busy. Thank you for the time. Looking forward to the festival, and we'll catch you down the line, sir. Okay, now, pre-festival starts Friday before 14th. It'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We call that pre-festival activity. We'll be here around the blue sun, but the activity of the festival is 14th. It'll be here on Friday. It'll be festival-related, but it's not really festival-related. It'll be music. It'll be live, live music. Again, festival starts. June 14th, run through the mountain, and always a week before Father's Day. All right. So now it will be Saturday before Father's Day, Father's Day, Sunday. You know, the blue travel will be that Saturday. This week, the Uncharted podcast welcomes Grammy Award-winning Ricky Lee Phelps, former lead vocals of the Kentucky Headhunters. He left Nashville at the height of his career to pursue ministry. Church comedian Brandon Skelton co-hosts. Enjoy. Um, let me just get started with this. Um, right. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what happened. I was uh, working out at the gym. Uh, Brandon and I both work here. He's he's the boss, and I'm the front reception guy, front desk, uh-huh. and when I come work out, I was listening to my, my 90s country because I'm a 90s guy. And Davy Crockett ran through there. Of course, it made my heart start pumping. Got excited. Remember, you know, one of the greatest bands of my youth. And then I remember the last time I saw the boys, it was your brother uh, doing the vocals. And I always wondered what happened to you. So, with the power of the Internet, I went deep sea diving and tracked you all the way down. And just thank you for taking the time. Well, cool. Yeah, uh, I kind of... I kind of disappeared there for a while, and then yeah. kind of redid, redid my, my whole life, pretty much. I hear you. Well, that was the first thing I was bringing up, because what was so fascinating is that from what I've read, and, and you know, that's why I wanted to ask you, uh, did you did you leave Nashville at the pinnacle, like, like right when you guys at the height of your career to kind of just take a step back, or, or how did it happen? Well, yeah, uh well, I'll tell you, I, I knew something was up. We we uh, we won our Grammy. You know, we'd already won a few awards, and we got the and then we won the Grammy one night. And and, and an odd thing happened in a spiritual realm, I guess you might say. Um, we called our name, and I, and we all got up and headed up the stage, and suddenly I had this feeling like I I, I couldn't hear anything. I, I had gone deaf, kind of like. Sense and I, I could see people clapping, and I could, you know, 
but I stepped up there and, and I felt like I was in a bubble and, and I really was just couldn't hear a thing. I, I didn't know what was going on. So, you know, I, they handed me my Grammy and I heard, I heard a voice say, this voice said, is that it? And, uh, and I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, I knew, I knew something was, I knew something was up at that point. And so I didn't know what, uh, but I did know that the, even at our peak, at our highest point of success, I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my life. And, uh, somehow or another, this wasn't, this whole thing wasn't working for me. And mm -hmm. I was uh, not happy and I was, I was not making, Every time I'd get on the bus, I was I was moaning and complaining about everything, and <laughs> didn't like anything that was going on, and I was making everybody miserable, and and so finally, uh, I, I I started feeling like I, there was a call to ministry on my life, kind of just an inkling of it, you know, and but I thought, well, I'll I got to get out of this thing, and and my brother went out with me. He left with me. We went and did Brother Phelps did two albums for Asylum Records, Brother Phelps and and I I thought, well okay, good. It's just me and my brother. This this'll work. This'll be okay. I I won't be, you know, having this problem. I thought that would fix stuff. But it didn't. Uh we did two albums and I was still feeling just as miserable as I had ever felt. And uh and so at some point I through a series of events, I just uh, I just went to my brother after the second album. I said, you know what, I I got to get out of all this. I I just got to get out of this whole thing. This is not sitting right with me. This is not working out for me. And of course, I felt bad because I pulled him out of the headhunters, and then I then I bailed on Brother Fell too. So I felt bad about it, uh, but I I couldn't do anything else. I just had to. So I pulled, finally pulled the plug on everything. I called everybody up, and said I'm I'm done. And of course, my manager said, "Well, you know, you're crazy. You'll never work in Nashville again." I was like, "Bingo! There it is." That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I I knew I knew at that point that I was called to a ministry, and uh, my you know my dad is. A minister to this day. He's 92 years old and still pastors a church in Arkansas. He's officially the oldest active pastor in the state of Arkansas. Wow. And um, so uh, I I pulled myself out of that and and headed into unknown territory. I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know where I was going. I just knew that that I had that I needed to be out of that and heading for something else. And so that's the nickel version of how all that came down yeah well uh you know i can i definitely understand where you're coming from uh and just that that experience and we appreciate you sharing that with us um i'm 36 but when i was in my early 20s i'd pastored a church that i grew up in and uh same thing just that that you know just didn't didn't feel like i needed to be there anymore and i remember yeah. one sunday after church i was sitting in the office and my wife came in there and she said it's time to go, isn't it? Because you know, <laughs> for years I've been wanting to plant a church, and and uh, I've always heard that if if God had an audible voice, it sounded a lot like your wife. And so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so 
Yeah, yeah mine does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just up so well, but uh, but yeah. So she, you know, she gave that confirmation. She was like, "It's time to go." So we we put in a resignation from there, and and took a little time in between to preparing, and you know, started a church, and of course, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I always tell that the perk with starting a church is. You know, you get to set the culture, but also the downside of it is you can't blame the last guy for anything. That's right. <laughs> so just kind of curious now, uh, what, what kind of ministry uh, is it that you do? Um, like, what, what's kind of this, the story, how you got started, what you're involved with now in, in the ministry? Well, uh, when I first when I first jumped out of the music business, I I didn't know what was you know I was like, okay, I'm going into ministry. Okay, how do you do that? <laughs> so <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, I kind of just uh, somehow or another people I got a hold people got a hold of me and and said, can you, you want to come to our church and we'll let you te- do it and we'll give your testimony. Da, da, da. So I started doing that, going here and there. And I'd go to one church and then somebody there would invite me to another church and somebody at that one would invite me to another. And I just started kind of wandering around, you know, within about a 300 mile radius of Nashville, doing doing churches and 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 uh, biker rallies and. Anywhere anybody wanted me to uh, speak about things, because I, you know, that's how I got my minister clothes on. I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it'd have been nice to walk off the walk off the country music bus and step up on the ministry bus, but that's not the way it happened. Uh, God had to kind of tear me down first, and then then put me back together again to get something that He wanted out of me. So uh, I had to tear all that pride and all that stuff out of me. And, kind of melt me down and so uh you know i for a while i was like did did i make the right decision did i eat a piece of bad bologna or something did I, did I, make, I mean you know did i make the right decision here and it was kind of troubling me because the ministry didn't i wasn't really getting a grasp on what i was supposed to do in ministry and so but i got a call from a guy in east tennessee he, he pastor he's a pastor over there and he had a jail ministry and you know, and I, and I was really, really struggling with myself, you know, because I was thinking, well, I, I could be in front of 20,000 people tonight, you know, what, what am I doing? And, and there was not much ministry going on here. So I went over to this jail. He invited me to come to the jail and, and uh, want me, you know, just give me testimony, sing a couple songs, whatever. And so I said, okay. So I went over there and there was, a, you know, about a dozen jailbirds in there. And, and I got up and said a few things and played a couple of songs and, and the pastor got up and said, oh, thank you, Brother Ricky, for sharing that with us. And he says, any of you boys out there got anything y'all want to say? And this guy gets up and walks up to the podium up there and he, he was a big guy. He was about 6'4", you know, probably 250 pounds, big fella. And uh, and, and the first thing he says, they looked over, pointed at me and he looked at me and he said, he said, oh, "Brother, you're an answer to my prayer this morning." I was like, "Really?" <laughs> he, said, he said, "I want to tell you something." He said, "The fact," he said, "I've prayed this morning. I wasn't going to come into this service. I was going to stay in my cell." And he said, "I had plans to to kill myself, commit suicide before this day was over." And he said, "I told the Lord." He said, "I prayed and told the Lord, if you really exist, you better show me something today." All right, that's it. I'm taking my life. And he said, the Kentucky Headhunters was my all-time favorite band. And the fact you showed up in this jail this morning has answered my prayer. And 
and the guy, you know, he, he wrote, me and him wrote back and forth letters after that for a while. And, and, uh, and I, and I never, I never struggled with that again because I realized, Lord, if you called me out of all that just for this moment, and if that's the only thing I ever do, it was worth t- taking, taking my way out of there. Yes, sir. And, that's, and, that's awesome. And so I asked, I asked, we left and I asked the pastor, I said, well, what's, what's that? He's a nice guy. Seemed like a nice t- fellow, you know, what's that guy in here for? And he said, he killed his five-year-old son. And I said, oh, my God, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, he's a nice guy and everything, but he said his little boy was acting up, and he grabbed him and shook him a little bit and broke his neck. Oh, gosh. And, you know, from that minute forth, everything changed for him, and he was uh, he was about to he was about to do his stuff. And they had him on suicide watch already because, you know, he lost everything, you know, right there, right then and there. And yeah. So... I I never I never questioned it again ever again. Went on, that, huh? That was going to be a question I was going to ask you. Is that do you do you get noticed like uh, when when you're delivering a good word that people say, hey, that I recognize that voice or I recognize you? Uh, do you get attention for that? That was what I was going to ask you. Yeah, um, about 15 years ago, uh, I started a little Bible study and. Uh, I had a pastor in, uh, in up in Nashville, in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and a pastor, the guy that I called my pastor, uh, and he was kind of mentoring me through things. And he was the only one that's really stepped up, and the Lord put him in my path to kind of help me get figure out what to do. And so I was having these Bible studies, and, and I was in Arizona at the time, and we were having home Bible studies, people were coming over, and we was out in the middle of the desert out there, and so it was growing into this big thing. And, and uh, so I called him, I said, man, I need, I need, I, I need to do something. He said, I said, I've got this thing going out here. And I said, I don't have any kind of covering at all. I have no credentials. And I said, it, it, people are going to start thinking I'm running some cult out here. And uh, I said, what, what do you suggest? And he said, he said, I'll ordain you. And I said, you will? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, and so I flew to Nashville. And I went to one of his services. He ordained me there. That was 15 years ago. Just this, I think April is the, I think April is the anniversary. That's awesome. That that is so amazing. What an incredible story. And I really appreciate you sharing it. That's inspired to a lost soul like me who loves the Kentucky Headhunters as well. I've, uh, I uh, just really, really, really like that. Uh, next, my next question was: um, Are you still playing music actively, or, or are you just uh, performing when it, when you're ministering the word? Well, uh, I started a little church here fourteen about fourteen years ago, and uh, just we were renting out the uh, Board of Realtors conference room here in our little town in Navarre, and uh, and you know had twenty five, thirty people come and we stayed there for 14 years and just I just had a little Bible study every Wednesday night on Sunday every other Sunday I, I was in a rock and roll band uh, we played at a little beach bar out of Pensacola Beach called the Sand Shaker we played out there for several years the band was together just about as long as the church was running uh-huh. and so we played these little this little bar on every other Sunday and uh, and we got to where at the end of the shows the last song we'd play would be Spirit in the Sky. Oh, yeah. And so 
and then it, one thing led to another, and in the midst of Spirit in the Sky, after we do a couple of verses, I'd have everybody have the musicians quiet down, and I'd do a little three or four minute sermon, and then we'd come back in and we'd finish with "I'll Fly Away," and we, you know, and, and the oddest thing because it was people would gather up around the stage and they'd all have their hands in the air. It looked like a Pentecost church service, <laughs> and and. Uh, and <laughs> And people come up to me with tears in their eyes after it was over. I'm so thank you so much for for being bold enough to to you know do that in a in a bar. And I was like, well, you know, I'm supposed to go to places that I'm supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel. And so, but it and from that bar is where is how I built my little church. People that came to the bar to see the band, one by one, they started coming to the church on Wednesday night. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I considered Sunday my my day of evangelism, and Wednesday was my pastorship. So, <laughs> so now is this, is this church still in the bar then? It it is up until COVID hit. Uh, we we shut down last year in March because I was renting this board of realtors office, and so mm. they shut their building down. So therefore, that shut me down. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so I've since. Uh, recently been putting podcasts out, uh, Bible study podcasts out. On a, mostly get, uh, I've got a word, and my my ministry is called Word and Grace Ministries, and I have a I have a Facebook group page, so I record podcasts, Bible study podcasts, and pop them on there. So everybody that was was coming to the church is still on there, and they go listen to the podcast, and and since then that group has grown from. You know, a little bitty group to I was about 450 people on there now. So, so that's kind of what's happened since COVID shut everything down. Well, it definitely, I say, the last year definitely uh, got us to be more creative and out of the box with how we get the gospel out there, and of course yeah. taking advantage of technology to do things such as and and I mean yeah. you know, that's you, you meet the world where they are, which is right there online. That's right. So the band shut down, church shut down. And so I, I kind of tried to figure out, okay, how am I going to keep getting the word out? And so I put together this, put together a little website for the ministry, and then I put a podcast out there, and then I pop it over into our group page, and that's kind of what I'm doing thus far. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just kind of neat how God can take the, the things we do and the passions we have and, and kind of merge that into the, the ministry world. You know, a funny story that this happened this past weekend uh, we have a lady that, you know, I pastor as well, and she's been coming to our church for a year. And uh, I've, I've been doing comedy for about three years, pastoring for about eight. And uh, yeah. so she told us this past weekend, she said, well, I got something, I, and I need to confess to you guys. We're like, oh, well, what's that? And she's like, well, actually, I started following your comedy page before I even knew about the church. She said, your, your comedy <laughs> page popped up my news feed, so I started watching your videos on there. And then somebody, you know, uh, recommended they come to church and try it out because they were looking for one. She's like, yeah, I already know that guy. So, uh <laughs> That's right. The dots for folks. Yeah, uh, you know, I I was I I like I mean, God gave me the gift of being able to play in another really good band. I thought, well, I'll never play in another good band again because good bands are hard. They're like rare jewels. They're hard to find. And so I hooked up with these guys several years ago, and nope. and it, it just became a great little band. And uh, it was fun to be in. There was no nobody. Busted each other. There was no crosswords. There was nothing. 
never anything except just fun and we we didn't try to you know be a big successful thing we we just did our little thing enjoyed ourselves and everybody that came enjoyed it and we played all old classic rock stuff you know from beatles and the birds and the turtles and all the harmony you know had a lot a lot of harmony singing and all that and i played some of course some headhunter stuff too but so it was fun and uh, and it formed my little church for me that's so awesome. Uh, when when the uh, headhunters come come close to your area, do you ever get back on stage with them? Uh, I I think the last time I got on stage, anytime they come around, you know, within a hundred miles or so, I'll go see them. And I I think the last time I got on stage, I was it was in Panama City. They were doing a playing a biker thing there in Panama City, and I got up with them that that night. But I've seen them a couple times since then, and I I kind of just. They've 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 metamorphosed in. They've gone whatever direction that they've gone, which is out of. They've gone a direction that I don't even care anything about. So, I just kind of stay out of it and let them do their thing. They've taken it somewhere else, and uh, I just there's no need to there's no need to stick me up there. That always causes a little confusion within the band as well as the fans. You know, they they get they get a little confused too. <laughs> Yeah, so, I so I just try. So at this point, I just stay. I stay out of it. Yeah, I just met. Well, you have one of the most, uh, you know, recognizable and, and, and best voices of the '90s. So I just didn't know if you got out there. Even when you talk, I, it, you know, it sounds like you can just naturally go to singing. So that's that's exciting <laughs> for a, for a music. That's cool. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, and you know, like I said it was a thrill to find you because uh, you know I was like it was a thrill to hunt. You know, it's like uh, finding a new date on a website. You know, you catch her and then you're so excited. Well, uh, oh, cool. where do you keep your Grammy at? You still got it? You still look at it, polish it up, and everything? No, I, I, I've still got it, and it's uh, it's in my living room. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I was my wife is really the one, and her sister they're the ones who start. You know, they they wanted to put them out there and display them. I said, well, we just put them in the attic. You know, just put them up in the attic. <laughs> and so, but I, but I took up painting. I took up painting about ten years ago. I started painting portraits, and so I painted a whole bunch of uh, musical artists that I'd either had you know, had worked with or had been on a label with or they some influence, you know, or that I'd met on the road or whatever. So I painted a whole bunch of portraits of these different uh, artists and I made prints of them. And so my wife and her sister framed them up and they hung them up on the wall. And I did a self-portrait. It's hanging up there too. And I have the Grammy. They have the Grammy sitting right underneath my self-portrait. And, and uh, you know, there it says there's, when I was going out doing this, when I first started doing ministry and I was going out to different churches, I used to take my Grammy with me and I would take a cross. I'd take my Grammy and I'd take a cross and I'd do a little illustration about if, you know, I'd hold the cross up and I'd hold the Grammy up and I'd go, now, if this Grammy is, and I'd hold it up toward my face and hold the cross out away from me, and I said, if the Grammy's up here and the cross is back here, Jesus is back here, then you've got your priorities wrong. I said, if you if you switch them around, you get to, you get Jesus up here close, and you got the Grammy back there, then it's okay. It's mm-hmm. just an accomplishment. But if it's the most important, it's up here close to you. I said, it, it becomes an idol, and so I was using it as this little illustration. So, mm-hmm. so I so I was uh, went back to the back of the church after the service was over, and there's this little Baptist church somewhere in Kentucky, and this two couples were standing there, and they were talking to me. So this one woman said. Uh, she said, can, 
she just out of the clear blue sky, she said, can I, can I touch it? And I was like, touch what? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, oh, uh, can I hold your Grammy? And I said, okay, sure. So I went and got it and handed it to her. And she said, wow, this is pretty cool. I never thought I'd hold one of these. And, and her friend said, well, and she kind of handed it back to me. And her friend said, can I hold it? And I said, sure. And I handed it to her. And she fumbled it and dropped it on the floor and busted the horn off of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and so I thought, okay, Lord, you've made your point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, I mean, this poor woman was mortified. I just felt so bad for her. She just, I thought she was going to hyperventilate and pass out. And uh, I said, look, it's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. It's, this is just, like I said, like I was illustrating, this is just an accomplishment. It's not a big deal. And you know, I could, I could send it back in, send two hundred bucks, and they'd send me a new one. You know, uh-huh. I mean, they get broke all the time. They're not that, they're, they're not that, they're kind of fragile anyway. So, but I and I thought, well, I'll do that. And then I thought, no, I'm going to keep it just like it is. I'm going to keep it broken because that that makes this story good, you know. And yeah. and so I found some sort of glue, and I kind of was able to kind of glue it back together. So I just kind of gingerly set up on that shelf and let it sit there. I, I don't mess with it too much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that poor woman, I felt so bad for that poor woman. She was... Uh, I bet she was mortified. Oh, well, I thought she was going to die. Yeah, I bet she was mortified. Um, well, one thing I want to let you know that I also found out trolling on the Internet, uh, you and I share the same birthday, so... I'm going to be Do expecting we? a painting, and I'll send you a card in exchange. Uh, All right. When when uh, when our birthdays come around, that is. Well, I well that's great. Well, yeah. man, that's, so two two October eighth, huh? That's it. And like I said, I'll I'll uh, email you my address, and you can send me one of the nice paintings. And I, I'll send I you will. To, yeah, I'll send you something to Outback. We'll we'll take good care of you. All right. All right. Sounds good. I'm, we'll I'm we'll, 80, we'll do that. I'm, a, I'm an eighty-two baby. What what year were you? Oh Lord, I. I was born in 1953. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> I didn't know how close we was, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm about twice your age at this point. I hear you, but uh, that, that's fine. You still know how to rock and roll. We appreciate you. But, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for your time. It, it does a body good to, to one of our heroes is nice to us. Now I just feel like the coolest guy on earth. I'll tell at least a half a dozen people I got to talk to uh, Brother Headhunter today. So oh, that's so cool. Well, thank you for. Uh, I'm glad. I'm, I have to apologize for being so, you know, kind of slow and getting getting to you because I I kept doing. I was up visiting my dad and then I got back and I, you know, I, one thing was, and then I was like, hey, I, wait a minute, I got to get a hold of this guy. <laughs> I forgot all about him. I forgot. Got no, it, email got buried down in there. I'm like, where where is that thing? I said, I can. This guy's gonna think I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. I I understand people get busy. I, I wouldn't forget you though. You wouldn't have to worry. I, I I'd have kept just uh, aggravating it to you to finally okay. well, yell at me or whatever. But well, I'll uh, say, I used to, I used to have people that took care of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I well, so I, when the world opens back up and I I come to Florida, I, I'd like to come listen to you minister sometime. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, that'd be great. And that wraps up another fantastic, glorified, entertaining edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Special thanks to our guests, Jimmy Duck Holmes and Ricky Lee Phelps. Most importantly, thank you, the listener, because without you, there would be no point in doing this. Have a fantastic week, and remember, as always, I love you for you and where you're at in life, and we'll do it all over again sometime next week. 
same uncharted time, same uncharted channel. Okay, take care.